everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Kevin Flynn, and this is Crime Writers On, the true crime review podcast that digs into podcasts, pop culture, and this week we'll look at the eight-part Netflix documentary, The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. We'll also look at the most heartwarming five-minute podcast you'll ever listen to. Joining me to get that done and more is our captain of Woke Cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Kevin, how are you hanging in there on your own? I'm hanging in pretty good. Rebecca and Laura are both off for school vacation. And, Toby, we couldn't make this a complete sausage fest. So, filling in, we have friend of the show and host of Extra Hot Great, again with this, and The Blotter presents Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Hello. How are you guys? We're doing good. I mean, at least I am. Yeah, sorry uh, sorry to intrude. On the sausage fest. But. <laughs> no, this is much better. This it's is not a dirty job. The dude but someone ranch. had to do it. Yeah, exactly. So, like we were saying, both Rebecca and and Laura uh, have gone off to warmer places. Rebecca took the boys and left me behind. She didn't storm out of the house just in case you know people start wondering about you know what might have happened to her. She's okay. Uh, she didn't throw her curling iron at me or something going out the door. So I think she she's coming back. You? She is. She ghosted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 I guess you're ghosted if um you just got your face buried in a margarita and that's why you're not picking up your phone, right? <laughs> Checks out. It looks like they've been having a good time based on the uh, social media. Yeah, Laura can't put her phone down. I think she's wherever she is. She's got good Wi-Fi. Now, Toby, you may not know this, but Rebecca actually got fired from a job because she was reading Sarah D. Bunting's stuff online too much. Really? Yeah, that's a true story. If she were here, she that would- That is a true story? That is a true <laughs> what story. What job was this? Sarah can tell a little bit about her bona fides, but uh, she is one of the pioneers of sort of the fan-based uh, entertainment critique uh, with a uh, with a podcast, which I don't know if I'm, I mean, a, um, a website, which I don't know if I'm allowed to identify for legal reasons or not. Uh, no, you can. Was it was uh, it television without pity? Was this the? Yes. Yeah. I am a co-founder of television without pity. That is a <laughs> that is an unredacted non secret. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so Rebecca had this job. Uh, it wasn't a high level position. I think she might have just been uh, at the time uh, the receptionist or whatever. And she. Uh, would be uh, mostly on the the website reading all of Sarah's reviews of the different shows because they have very similar senses of humor. And apparently that I led to I thought it dismissal. was Tomato Nation that got her fired. Oh, it could That's have been. That's what she told me. Oh. But I was a, I was a um, multiple threat. I was a hyphenate in terms of my um, ability to get Rebecca busted at work, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, well, she's learned Wait, her so lesson. what was Tomato Nation? Uh, Tomato Nation is my blog, which still exists. Uh, it's like the last general blog on the internet. Basically, and I would do like movie reviews. I used to do 21 Jump Street recaps. Um, I had contests, I had an advice column. 
little everything. Now she writes about everything, including baseball, Mm -hmm. which is why I like to tweet at her when someone is about to hit for the cycle. (laughs) (laughs) They haven't hit for the cycle. They're just a double away or most likely a triple away from hitting the cycle. They're always a triple away. I finally figured out how to turn that setting off (laughs) in the at bat app. But it was just telling me like every possible thing. It's like, here's something stupid that just happened with the Mets. Like, guys, that's just a blizzard. Of notifications, <laughs> even in the off season, like someone stepped on his own hand trying to pick up a quarter and broke his fingers. Like, okay, <laughs> so it's going to be a different show today. <laughs> I guess so. Okay, so we're going to start off with uh, this. Kevin, could you read this? Yes, Kevin, I will. True, True crime, crime update. update. It sounds so much better when Rebecca has me do it. I think it, I feel a little silly yelling into the microphone. We, 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 by we probably should have. We've, I probably could have like helped you out with that if we'd coordinated a little bit more. Oh, okay. How about Toby? Can you do that? How, could you say that? Sure. Uh, Kevin, can you read this for me? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to read through the yelling. Oh, okay. I can do that. You do All right, that. Go ahead. All right. Toby, read this. True, True crime, crime update. update. What? That was terrible. <laughs> what? Well, the, what a well-oiled right, machine we've become. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have our roles for a reason. Yeah. (laughs) Anand Syed's attorney, Justin Brown, says they will appeal their case to the Supreme Court of the United States. Earlier this month, the Maryland uh, Court of Appeals said it would not reconsider its earlier ruling reinstating the conviction of Anand Syed after two lower courts uh, had overturned it. So I guess, guys, this decision to not to reconsider, it shouldn't be surprising to any of us. Am I right? I yeah, I don't feel like I'm nearly as well versed in this particular case as um, as you guys are. But this did seem like the previous decision that was just affirmed. That was a surprise. But I think further disappointments are not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I guess I wasn't really sure what the reason for hoping that it would be. Overturned yeah. would be. No one really had a lot of hope. I believe that this was going to get something accomplished, but you take that shot anyway. Mm. And the fact that now they're appealing to the U.S. Supreme Court again, which is such a long shot, it feels kind of pro forma to me. But then again, you have to go through the the process uh, because you you don't know whether or not you know something is going to bounce your way. It's frustrating. I can only imagine how it feels too you know, Rabia and Adan and Adan's family. And it, it just, it, from, from this remove, it just, it, it feels as though, you know, enough has been sort of called into question. I mean, we've talked about this before, but, you know, as it seems like door after door are being closed and there's not a whole lot of doors left, if any. Sarah, I know that you covered the case against Adan Syed in The Blotter Presents. So yes, you, you're you know, up to date and sort of like where the mainstream media and the mainstream audiences are on Adnan's story. Does mm. the story have any more legs for those in the, the broader audience? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I found the series very watchable, but also not necessarily, uh, you know, in the title, it, it the title sort of implied that they would be investigating uh, or t- maybe taking a devil's advocate position about the case against Adnan Syed, such as it was. That didn't end up being the case, and I was not disappointed by that. But I think at this point, maybe a series that, you know, is not named that, but actually does that and takes a devil's advocate position that's like, you know, what are we really talking about here when we talk about the case against him? I think that could be the source of more material but who can say the the funny thing about this about your comments about this case just now it sort of put me in mind of what uh toby and i were discussing in a recent balls deep dive vis-a-vis fatal vision that this kind of thing can take years to resolve or people's positions can take a while to change and evolve in terms of trying to get cases brought back in front of the correct authorities but i you know what's the expression like the justice system is not inclined to reverse itself it's sort of built to prevent that right so unless someone is given truth serum and is on national tv during that process i have a feeling that this phase of the case is is over and i'm not sure how likely it is that new evidence is going to come from 
anywhere that the courts consider credible. Yeah, and I think as far as the uh, the public is concerned, I think people have their minds made up right now if he's guilty, mm. if he's innocent, and that there's little that's going to be done to um, to change it. Even if the courts throw out the conviction and he's acquitted, I mean, I still think there's a chunk of people out there who will just always believe that he's guilty. I've you know, sure, I'm on the record thinking that that he's not guilty. But I think that you know, it's it's. I mean, everything else today, people are entrenched in their camps. And I think that, you know, there's there's little that's going to be going to be done in most places that will will change people's minds. Although I do think that the miniseries on HBO did push people and challenge them probably more than they had been challenged previously. I wonder how much that would play into, you know, I think there's a reluctance to look for a pardon uh, because I think that that involves an admission of guilt mm-hmm. or, and I, and I just wonder if the, the fact that everybody is so kind of in their camp and non supporters would look at it as being just a very sort of transactional thing. It's like, all right, I'll say this so I don't spend the rest of my life in prison and not like look at it as being a sudden reveal that he was guilty all along. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just a, to get a certain outcome. I feel like an, an Alfred plea was, suggested and was not something that Adnan was prepared to do. Am I just making that up or? Well, there was a plea offer. They didn't say it would have to be an, an, an Alfred plea that I think that they didn't get that far into it. The detail was that, right. You know, that he'd serve another four years, uh, which was kind of an odd plea bargain, I guess, but that's what they thought about offering. So, yeah. And I, I remember during the staircase, um, in the uh, the most recent episodes, that there was this, you know, by Michael Peterson, this position that like I won't I won't admit to anything, you know, even though it's the pragmatic thing to do. You you know, you've served time. This would be time served because he, he some of it's pride, I guess. Some of it is I don't want people thinking that. I certainly don't want to would you know confess to a crime that I didn't commit. But again, I just feel like hey, Michael Peterson, people already believe that you did or they believe that you didn't and you know i i honestly don't think that i don't think anyone who thought you were innocent will suddenly think that you're guilty uh right you know they will see that this was the smart thing to do because it's more important than you get out of prison and i think that well and people you're in would your say 70s not. yeah also. it's also yeah. right exactly yeah yeah i you never can tell uh, i am not an attorney <laughs> yeah i am not you know as firmly uh grounded in this particular case as as you lot but you you never know right this stuff right well we'll continue to follow uh this case because it's still got looks like a couple of years uh left to it all right we're gonna move on to uh something kevin could you read this yes kevin i'll read that toby balls Balls, obscure Obscure podcast Podcast Corner. corner Uh, Toby Ball sometimes likes to do things that he's not supposed to do, like listen to other podcasts. And uh, although you don't like calling these obscure podcasts, you think what these are up and coming podcasts? Soon to be discovered. Soon to be discovered. All right. Well, we'll have to go back and figure out a different thing to yell (laughs) next time. Podcasts Um, on the verge. On the verge. Yes. Edging podcasts. Uh, Of course, that might be something else. Okay, uh, Toby. have. What what do you what do you have to this share with going the class? Off the rails yeah. Early, what's that? What do you have to share with the class? I actually this podcast was recommended by a listener through social media uh, whose name is Rachel Grant, and it's called "What Happened to Holly Bartlett," and it's from AMI, which is Accessible Media Incorporated out of Canada, and it's a it's a I guess a company that um. Its mission is to make stories for, by, and about um, people with disabilities uh, available. And so this is a podcast about uh, a woman named Holly Bartlett, who was blind, uh, lived in Halifax, and was found sort of on the edge of death at the bottom of a concrete abutment by this Uh, McKay Bridge in Halifax. There was something red laying at the base of one of the massive concrete abutments on the frozen earth. He realized it was a person, a dead body, he thought. But Holly Bartlett's heart was still beating. Holly Bartlett was found unconscious under the McKay Bridge after a night out with her friends. She was laying underneath the bridge for five hours, breathing. The 31-year-old's death was ruled an accident. Drunk, blind girl, case closed. You know, kind of from the start, like there's 
there's these questions about like what was she what was she doing there? She'd gone out and had some drinks with some friends from work. You know, she she lived by herself in an apartment and was then found the next morning, and she was hypothermic and. Uh, she had some broken bones. I think had been uh, had a head injury, and she died in the hospital. And so, I think it's really interesting. I mean, this woman, uh, I think she was in her early thirties, you know. And I and I think the police had a hard time grasping this. Like, lived an independent, sort of normal life. I mean, she navigated through Halifax. There's a little anecdote about how the cab driver's given her a ride with somebody else, and she knows where they are throughout the cab ride mm-hmm. um, just cause she, you know, I guess she's memorized the, uh, the order of the streets and stuff. So she's, she's very independent. And part of, I think what the police had a hard time with at the beginning is, is sort of understanding that, you know, a blind person could live that independently. And then there's these, there, there's these other questions about where her cane was. And uh, in order to get to where her body was found, sort of the police thought that she had walked from her apartment and, crawled through a hole in a fence and then climbed this concrete abutment for some reason and then fallen off of it while drunk. Uh, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Is it a, is it a whodunit primarily, or is it more of a, a profile of this woman, Holly? Uh, it's more of, well, it's, it's definitely a whodunit. Like, there's a profile. It starts off with a profile, uh, and, you know, you spend a lot of time talking to people who are friends of hers and stuff. I guess the first question is, what happened? Like, how did she end up down there? And then... You know, I think the idea is that, you know, her friends think there was, you know, clearly something happened. Like she did not like crawl through this fence and do this herself. So she, there was some interaction with somebody and I don't know if they will be able to find that person or whether they'll just kind of discover that, you know, what had happened that night, find out more about that. Uh, So it's not entirely clear to me where it's going, but it's more than just sort of a profile of her, although that profile I think is pretty interesting. They have a journalist uh, involved whose name is Maggie Rohr, and she's really good. She's, she, she's a good voice. Um, so I, I, think it, I, I think it's really, it's quite good. It's smart, and I, it does give you a little bit of uh, insight into sort of the, the blind community and different ways in which people kind of arrange their lives so they, they, they can function very independently with that condition and that's called again what happened to holly bartlett what happened to holly bartlett uh, it's from ami and uh i i recommend it i think it's i think it's really good and this has been toby, toby balls, balls obscure, obscure podcast, podcast corner. corner yeah it doesn't get any better saying it when I'm, it's just me <laughs> it is, it's a lonely it's, it's a lonely super sound. lonely it's it, it's funny when i do it and rebecca laughs at it but being here by myself i realize how silly it is. This I'm whole just assuming thing. that you're just going to dub in a lot of Rebecca laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Might be able to pull some of that out. Uh, <laughs> hey, next up, there is a new podcast that has gone viral. It's by five-year-old Aska Sharif. She is a Make-A-Wish kid from Illinois whose wish was to make a podcast. She got a hand from the team at WBEZ in Chicago and made her first mystery podcast, the Stealer of the Diamonds. Once upon a time, there was a robber who sold diamonds and liked the color blue and red. The robber's name was Tessa. Aska wants as many people to listen, so we're going to help her out by doing what we do, which is review mystery podcasts. So we hope Aska's uh, will get to listen, but we're asking mom and dad to fast forward to this point and then immediately stop because of our potty mouths. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's probably wise. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, Toby, let me start with you. How are Aska's expressions when she's talking? Does she do a good job? Uh, She actually does an awesome job. And having just spent quite a bit of time like reading stuff that I've written into a microphone. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but yeah, she's awesome. She she takes the story and makes it even more exciting uh, with the way she tells it. So you're saying a five-year-old does it just as good as an adult does in you? I, I would I would say better than the adult who is now talking. <laughs> Sarah, you've listened to a lot of things. What do you think about this young storyteller? 
very promising young storyteller. Uh, this was a delight to listen to. Uh, excellent use of detail. The robber was stealing everything in town. She was even taking candy from babies. <laughs> she stolen fragile jewelries and fragile birthday decorations, purses, wallets, and money from the bank. Uh, it was a very girl-forward story in terms of the characters. I enjoyed that the lead cop was a woman-identified person, as well as uh, our anti-hero, Tessa. Tessa, Tessa um, the villain. But the um, phrase fragile birthday decorations just (laughs) brought me such joy. Um, This really was delightful. And the five minute length is really perfect. It is. It was like this little sorbet of crime storytelling. Yes, the the fragile birthday presents, the uh, stealing of all of the chalkboards. uh, And the worst (laughs) part, taking candy from a baby. Uh, I have to ask, was that too obvious a choice for uh, this storyteller or was it a classic that was just made good all over again? Yeah, I go classic. Yeah, classic. Yeah. yeah. Usually it's just like stealing candy from a baby. You don't often see a um, you don't often see a character actually doing it. Yeah, that's brave to go there. Move. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Was this podcast sufficiently mysterious? Yes. It promises mystery. Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it does. It does. And, you know. I, I think there 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 was Tessa went on a crime rampage. She did. Let's be serious. Someone had to stop her. And I, somebody I had think to stop some her. Some mystery remains. Clear. Some mystery remains about her motives. I believe that Tessa's motivations, yes, remain obscure yeah. and perhaps can be followed up in a sequel. And where oh. did she get the mud on her shoes? I don't know. That yeah. could be the starting probably, point. For the next she one. Yeah. probably stole that too. <laughs> stole stolen mud. Was, right, if it right wasn't nailed down, Tessa was taking it. And sometimes, even when it was. <laughs> this is a, a, a true detail. Uh, the story is called The Stealer of the Diamonds. And I think it, it got that name because our storyteller has a problem saying the word thief. So the thief ah. of the... So the stealer, as in one who steals. Again, I think it's a good use of, uh, of some, uh, some wordplay here. Mm. Very advanced for a kindergarten kid. Yeah. No, the whole thing was awesome. Yes, and I do believe that Tessa, there's probably a real-life Tessa in her kindergarten class that she doesn't like. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, or a sister uh, my, or notes, somebody. Yeah. my notes read, I will bet you money, that uh, she has a sibling uh, named or rhyming with Tessa. Tessa. <laughs> it doesn't seem, based on the story that we read um, in the Sun-Times, that that is the case. Her actual sibling, who kind of helped put this together, seems pretty like a pretty cool and supportive mentor but yeah i think i think you're right on that elsewhere at the stevenson school <laughs> lurks a tessa or a vanessa or someone <laughs> that uh Asuka is not a fan no no you're right what you know about though right so yeah that's good that's good all right let's go around the horn and give thumbs up or thumbs down for the stealer of the diamonds all right sarah d bunting let's start with you uh Thumbs up. Absolutely. And I look forward to future projects from this young pod- podcaster. Toby Ball, how about you? Yeah, I'm, I agree. Big thumbs up. Uh, people should definitely take five minutes of their time and, and check it out. I think they'll like it a lot. I'm also a thumbs up. I uh, My heart was warmed by this. It was also a very, it was a very good story for uh, five minutes for from a five-year-old. And uh, I am looking forward to the, the follow-up to the Stealer of the Diamonds. I'm going to put a link to the show in our show notes and on the website. And if you get a chance, just take a minute and listen to it. She wants to get as many people to listen as possible. And I think we can do our best to uh, to get that number up and let the world know about the villainous Tessa who would go and steal candy from a baby. Uh, moving on, 12 years after the case shocked two continents, Netflix is offering up the eight-part series The Disappearance of Madeline McCann. After the three-year-old British girl vanished from her bedroom while on vacation in Portugal, the crime became an international media sensation, putting pressure on beleaguered local investigators. Some individuals represented a significant person of interest. 
police say they are now treating a British man as a suspect. They wanted me to confess. I actually felt I was being set up. As blame shifted from local suspects to the parents themselves, what happened to Maddie is still unknown. The documentary takes an exhaustive look at what remains Europe's most controversial cold case. We will be discussing plot points for the disappearance of Madeline McCann, so if you want to stay spoiler-free, jump to the time code in our notes. All right, well, in the beginning, there is a discussion about why certain missing persons cases capture headlines and why others don't. And Toby, I know that you have a theory about this because it's very much like your theory about why certain crimes uh, get covered and why certain defendants get attention, right? Yeah, well, I yeah, I do, although I don't really know how this fits into the theory in that it's just so extreme, you know, because I, I do think, you know, she's she's very telegenic. Her family's very telegenic. Um, and they also, you know, they throw a lot of money at sort of media relations. But as to why, I, it's just, it's interesting to me that this one little girl got such international attention to the point where, you know, I mean, there's they show like clips from like the today show or, mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever Robin Roberts is on a uh, good morning, America, good morning, America. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss beyond just sort of the general, you know, sort of attractiveness of the family and maybe a sense that they are, you know, typical, but in a slightly idealized way of sort of upper middle class people around the world. Yeah. I, I don't know. Was it? What do you think, Sarah? Is it the mysteriousness of the circumstances? You know, vanished versus like being kidnapped straight up by a guy in a van. Well, they they have a couple of they have that one expert who I, I forget what his um I forget what his CV was and why he was a talking head interviewee. But um, he would he was Is this the guy from America. Yes, he was a yeah center of missing exploited children. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's oh, right. Yeah, the Nick that guy. guy that he talked at some length about, you know, what we see in the States is that it, you know, some of these crimes blow up and some of them don't. And it's always the circumstance. And I think he didn't come right out and say, uh, you know, often it's a white teenage girl who gets sort of laser focused on versus uh, victims of color or vanished of color. But what he was really focusing on, and this was something that came up repeatedly, was the similarity in like the number of aspects of the case that would suggest that it was going to blow up, like little specifics and comparing it to Aton Pates, mm-hmm. who, I mean, whatever, Aton Pates always comes up as a comparison with cases like this, but that you have, it wasn't just that he disappeared on his way to the bus. It was that he'd never taken the bus by himself before. And it was holiday weekend. So like that factored into it that perhaps uh, NYPD was a little slow to pick up the ball and then they weren't able to talk to anyone at the school and so on and so forth. It's all those sort of details around it. Yeah. That, that play on the fears of the audience, right? And the general public. Like, oh, that could have been my kid. And then this also has like, this is an extremely young child. And uh, a comparison that I kept thinking someone in eight episodes was going to make, but they didn't, was uh, Jean Benet Mm -hmm. Ramsey. Because you have a number of those factors also, like it's not just that it was Christmas night. It's not just that she was a, you know, little kid who was apparently taken out of her house. It's not just... That there was this very long ransom note, which is like the longest ransom communication in the history of the FBI dealing with these cases. I can't believe I just pulled that fact out of my head with no prompting. (laughs) Hi, I'm living my best life. Um, And it's not just that she was a little pageant queen. It's all of those things. And I think particularly in these cases when it's children... Aton Pates being sort of sent off, even though it was like half a block unattended in the New York of the late seventies, John Bonet being in pageants where she was like sexualized at the age of five or six, like, and then these, the McCann's, even though this was apparently de rigueur, leaving the kids alone, you know, while they had dinner, I guess this is just what was done. And you do have an, a couple of people saying that this was not unusual Mm -hmm. 
that the opportunity to judge parents cannot be underestimated, in my opinion, when it comes to the not well, popularity is sort of a skeezy way to put it, but I think that's actually appropriate. Like when it comes to people's prurient interest, in a case like this, I think a big part of it for some people is the opportunity to uh, judge parents and usually mothers is what we're really saying. Right, right. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. I think that this was a case that here in America that we knew of and knew some of the broad strokes, but unlike in in Britain and in Portugal, where they really lived and breathed this, uh, that we needed certainly episode one to, okay, I'm up to date. I got what's going on now, Uh, because there Mm -hmm. was quite a, a quite a bit. And Like the whole documentary, it does unfold slowly and deliberately. You know, it's eight episodes. I think you probably could have gotten the same thing done in five or six with a different editor and with a different kind of pacing. But uh, they really want to sort of they want to have sort of everything in there. There are lots of details and lots of little tangents, and they do try to explore all of them. So let's start with, you know, the beginning. Do you guys think that by the time we hit episode two that American audiences are you know up to speed on where we're going for the rest of this? Uh, I would say I so. I, I didn't know much about it. I'd obviously heard of it, but I actually sort of was under the impression that more people thought that the parents were were probably guilty than I than I think is the actuality. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. So, but I, I didn't know anything about Pride Luge or them having dinner every night while they their kids slept alone in their their apartment and stuff like that i had no idea and may have been given the european yeah. equivalent of benadryl yeah right and yeah. then like, which is like back you to, know uh, i'm a 70s kid like this was possibly something that my parents you know like i had bourbon rubbed on my gums when i was teething <laughs> this is not something that happens anymore oh happens to me <laughs> same yeah, it's, it's teething, bourbon, everything, everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of that little part. I was like, oh, shit, Zanny the nanny, mm-hmm. like, strikes again. Well, the McCants were criticized for their aggressive media plan to keep the, the search going and focused on Manny. Uh, excuse me, not on Manny, on Maddie. In hindsight, w- it was the right thing to do, wasn't it? I th- I mean, I think so. I think if you have the means, this was another place actually where I found it odd that the Ramsey case was not invoked because of the heavy fire that the Ramseys took for that initial appearance after Jean Benet's death and that they were the focus of so much scrutiny that they had the means to deflect somewhat. Uh, it could be that they were mentioned and after Burke Ramsey tried to sue the shit out of Dr. Phil at CBS, <laughs> they were like, you know what? It's not that relevant. We'll just stick to talking about Aton Pates. Yeah. But yeah, I thought, I don't know. That seemed, given that she still has not been found. Right. It's hard to say. Yeah, of course, that's what you would do if you're trying to find your child and you can do this. That's what you would do. I think it was implied that at, at one point people started to think it was distasteful. And then when the allegations came that they were involved because of the cadaver dog 
uh, hitting uh, um, yeah. the thing, then they were the, the the pump was already primed for a backlash because the you know it's like oh well no wonder they were so excited to jaunt to Morocco on a private jet to talk about their missing daughter because they uh, they're behind it. Yeah. Well, what was what was your feeling, Kevin? Were you put off by that? No, I mean I was a little puzzled. You know, we're looking back at this, and I think that yeah, if you have the means and what you are desperate for is for those people that are in authority to help you to keep the search on and have people out in the fields and everything and and looking for her and questioning people and roadblocks and the whole thing. And uh, it, it certainly came up many, many times that the parents, Jerry and Kate, felt like the disappointment with being named a suspect or... Uh, you know, looking at a at a suspect meant that the attention was no longer on searching, which is what right. they wanted. And mm. so if they whatever they could do to keep people wanting to search, as opposed to we, we want the publicity so people remember who she is or so that we can raise money for the foundation that will do X. It seemed like their goal has been, even though at a certain point, a sense of futility may set in that keep looking and and not just like you know, uh, keep figuratively looking. I mean, literally, like keep keep searching. Let's 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 look around and and um, literally find the 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 rock that we've yet to turn over. And I, I think the fact that she had that thing with her eye too. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I think you know that's a piece of information that if I were a parent, you know, I'd be like, everybody's got to know about this, right? Because that's the giveaway. This very unique, yeah, thing in her eye. But let me let me put it this way, and this is going to be pretty cruel. If Toby, if you just stole a car, and the entire continent was looking for that car, that very distinctive car, what would you do with that car? Uh, paint it. No. <laughs> would you get rid of it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of brought up, like, well, if we talk about the eye, that endangers her. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, she was endangered already. Yeah, I, sure. I, I think. I mean, I, and I, at, at that point, you're hoping for a miracle, and that's sort of the most obvious way that people are going to be able to really tell that it's her, because otherwise, it's a cute little five-year-old blonde girl, and there's literally millions of them. So there's some real odd characters that we come across. Yes, right up from the beginning, the original prime suspect is uh, Robert Murat. Uh, and he sat for an interview uh, in this, uh, so we got to see a lot of contemporaneous uh, videotape from back then and his thoughts on it now. What, what did you guys think of him and his story? This is one of the pluses to the way this series was structured, which was to go pretty much in chronological order and sort of be following the stories wherever they led, like whatever side streets of the narrative they went down. Versus sort of grouping everything in more like topic based episodes mm -hmm. because he he appears and he's seeming sort of sketchy and it's not clear what position the show is really taking on his sketchiness. And then he's out of the narrative for a while and then he comes back and he's definitely a prime suspect and then he's not. And then maybe he is again. But at the same time, he's been very willing to work with the filmmakers. So that was, I think, a good choice because his sort of continuing ebbing and flowing involvement, like there was tension there. There was some suspense there, but he's, he's a strange biscuit. Yeah. As we would have said <laughs> back in the day. Toby, you agree. I think that you found him kind of peculiar, right? Yeah. He's kind of odd. Although the, you know, the, the thing that's kind of troubling about it is that like the fact that you're odd makes people suspect you. Right. Because that's literally what it was, right? Yeah. No, it's kind of weird and he's trying to help. So he feel he's got a weird affect. Let's look at him. Right. It was a John, John Bonet again, where they flew some guy back from Singapore. Oh, who was yes. Like a teacher who mm -hmm. like wore really high waisted pants. <laughs> and it was basically like, oh, this guy is this guy is bizarre. Like he probably did it. Like if well, you're weird also, and you try and help, like that sets you up as being a suspect is is kind of a is kind of a rough go, I think. Well, like but Richard I think Jewell, that the British press in particular was primed to be suspicious of anyone who inserted themselves into the case. 
because of the similar case that, that they referred to. Yeah. Which, and, you know. The schoolmaster. Killing. Yeah, I don't remember the, the name, but a very similar case. Yeah. And the, um, and he was like very helpful and then <laughs> was the guy. You know, John Douglas and uh, Robert Ressler talk about this pretty frequently in their writing that you are looking for someone who is inserting themselves into the case sure. in whatever way. I I feel like maybe that's more of a that's now more of a fictional trope, but there is some basis, apparently. Like, I'm I'm not going to tell Robert Ressler that he's wrong, that <laughs> the criminals do that. He knows yeah. what he's talking about. There are some other interesting characters that we, we come ac- across. Um and one of them, I, well, I really liked was the uh, the the Portuguese female TV reporter. Yeah. I'm sure that it was very woke of them to interview her almost completely in the makeup room. <laughs> yeah, so like she did all oh this God. this hardcore reporting, and it's like in the background, Maybelline, as far as the eye can see. Oh, and when we're first introduced to her, before we even see her face, we see her hair being curled. Yes. <laughs> I'll give it to you, though. Her hair was great, though. Yeah, it really was. She was great. She was good. I think that, uh, yeah, I enjoyed hearing more from her and the Portuguese press than I did from the British press at times, I got to admit. Yeah, so the one guy with the uh, the flowing locks was kind of giving his <laughs> Walking his around, yeah. And the only thing I could think of was he's, like, better than the guy who was covering uh, Amanda Knox. I was like, I'll give him that if that's <laughs> oh, the, uh, the well, if bar that's the was bar, there. that is the lowest yeah. possible bar. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you see the police sketch of their suspect, which was just an egg with hair? <laughs> and what the fuck, people? Oh god, what did they think that was accomplishing? They try and get another one, and then she also does another one. It's just like they do a very a nice body, professional, yes, with no face, but no face. <laughs> Maybe the guy didn't really have a face. Which you think you'd be able to find a guy who looks like that pretty easily. It was the Slender Man. <gasps> just look. He's, we solved two like, cases. That guy, no eyes, nose, or mouth. That's yeah. our guy. Yeah, the British press, and they certainly showed us a lot of headlines uh, about from the coverage. They really enjoyed sticking it to these Portuguese cops, and probably for good reason. I mean, a sketch that is essentially an egg with a parted hair that they were supposedly asking people, have you seen this egg? <laughs> and, uh, you know, taking these long lunch breaks. We get to meet Giancarlo Amaral. Uh, he is our uh, my least favorite detective. Did he fuck up the case bad or did he fuck up the case really bad? He, I, You know, going back to Amanda Knox, he reminded me of that guy. Yes. Uh, whatever the inspector was, who was also mm-hmm. uh, Monster of Florence. Mm-hmm. In that, <laughs> I don't know. He I, had a modus operandi for different theories for the crimes. That it was always his thing is always kept the body in a freezer. Yeah, and some of the thing is like you know the odds are that it's the family or or somebody close, and that's fine and that's true. But that's not the be all end all of an investigation of an individual crime. And it, it's the same thing. It's like you get this. You get a theory, you're fairly, you know, sure that you're right. So you work out how your theory can be like proven or at least explained in a way that makes any kind of sense. And in this case, that involved like stuffing her, you know, dismembered body into a little freezer or something. Oh, no, that was that was that other kid. Well, that's um, the thing. He's yeah. another one who. Yeah. Bricked it's just like cases, coming up with so. an explanation to to fit your theory. Yeah. That's the Joanna Cipriano case. Yeah. And right, this also, Amaral was, he was under investigation for what happened in that case, which looks like he beat a false confession out of the mother, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and there's that other cop. Oh, she has a mask. You know, she fell down. It's like, come on, man. It was, it was pretty brutal looking. Uh, yeah. So we already don't like the look of this guy anyway. But can we blame him for not being able to solve this case? This just seems like this was something that was not solvable. What, what, yeah, I think that's right. The disappear- yeah, I mean, Madeline yeah. McCann's disappearance. It just seems, it isn't like, oh, well, you should have just looked at that. And in hindsight, we said, yeah, the case would have been solved if only that. I'm just wondering more about what could they have done? Maybe they could have acted more quickly to close off the town or something like that if, if she was being shuttled away. But as much as I hate this guy, I can't really say, yeah, it's definitely his fault they haven't closed the case. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he's a horse's ass. Like there was um 
there was some other, they were doing one of those like um, soft focus reenactment scenes <laughs> with the uh, Chirons over it. And uh, he is saying in Portuguese and the subtitles are telling us that he was telling the mother to calm down, uh-huh. which I just remember there was just something about the phrasing of that, that it's like, yeah. Motherfucker, you calm down. Her toddler is missing. Don't waste time telling her to chill. Like, or no, he said that she was hysterical. Like, uh uh-huh. And the headline here is, what? Why are you wasting time telling her to calm down when you should be out looking for this child? But on the other hand, I do suspect that she was taken by strangers and that this was planned and that she is not alive and that she was not alive fairly soon after she was taken and that she was tiny. And if you want to steal a three-year-old and conceal that fact, geometrically speaking, I think that's reasonably easy to do, especially in a holiday town where there's just a lot of, there's a lot going on. And if they didn't catch the perpetrator or perpetrators in the act, I don't think anyone really had any shot and especially not this guy, but yeah. uh, even Poirot would have been like, well, <laughs> we got here too late yeah. and there's nothing, there's nothing to be right. done, which is, I don't blame the parents for still hoping and being like, well, now she'd be such and so age and call our tip line if you see her. But I'm afraid that I don't think that is the upshot. Now the documentary seems to take a turn after the McCanns are cleared and the focus kind of shifts from Portugal to other parts of of Europe, and we finally get to more of the story that a lot of us don't know, uh, which is sort of these further investigations uh, with the private eyes. You have that uh, one Spanish private eye in his custom suit and his Ferrari driving around. Julian Parabenez, I believe was his name. And then this rich benefactor, Brian Kennedy, comes in and infuses a lot of money in his couch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So let's see, Toby, first of all, you tell me your take on Brian and Patrick Kennedy. What do you think of these guys? Those guys are super sketchy. Like those are the kind of people that scare the hell out of me, especially the son who is just kind of like, you know, tail. I mean, they, (laughs) he and that Spanish detective go and they're like planning bugs and tracking devices on people's cars and questioning them. It's like, he's like, Oh, I don't, did you feel bad about fucking with these people's lives when you don't actually have any authority? No, I don't feel bad about that. I feel bad for Maddie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, dude, and then he on. was like, well, my dad told me to. So, and I was like, oh, cool reasoning for a grown up. Well done. <laughs> Carry and, and on. Some of, it I, some of it I just thought was like kind of clearly bullshit. Like where he's like, well, we went to Morocco and we landed. And my dad said, well, go find somebody who speaks English and can drive us around. I'm like, come on. If you're a millionaire, why don't you just call somebody? Before you even go. So they're waiting for you at the airport. You don't go there and ask your 17 year old son to walk around Morocco. Like, do you speak English? Do you speak English? Do you I'm looking a for a young blonde girl yeah. in the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. So Just open your ridiculous. hotel window and yell her name out of it while smoking hashish. She'd probably get the same results. <laughs> yeah. If it wasn't their own money, I'd be like, oh, this is the same private eye scam that they always run. Private Eye says, oh, I think I heard that she was in Hawaii. Send me there. I was, Yeah, I was totally going to say this reminds me of like short con guys who were mm-hmm. inserted themselves into the Lindbergh case. And they're like, oh, yeah, I totally heard that she's working in Branson, Missouri. Like, OK, <laughs> good tip. Yeah, these guys are super sketchy. I'm not really sure what the motivation is. And I did a little research on this guy just because I was like, has this guy been arrested for something or is he allegedly... But he actually like he owns like a serious rugby team in England. Like yeah. he's super yeah. rich. He's like a glazing mogul or something. It's like no, this guy is like got a ton of dough. A glazing mogul. Okay. Didn't it's they say something that about stuff that? That like, it's like I have invented this widget that keeps the medallion on the front of your car. Yeah, and now I own a whole country. <laughs> All right. Now I'm Batman. So anyway, those guys freaked me out more than anybody else in the entire thing. Cause it just seemed like the type of people who run gung ho with like complete confidence in their own judgment. Fucking if you're on the wrong side of that, you could have some problems. Right. Right. Well, and at least, at least in the States, there are some rules. I don't know what they are or how effective they are, but they do ostensibly govern PIs and bounty hunters and the like. And then, well, let me ask you guys this, because there was that team of people, and then the benefactors hired this other complete Elizabeth Holmes of 
private right. investigations yeah. guy who turns out to not even be from the States. And then that was weird. I would have liked to have heard a little more about that. That could have been a whole series itself, yeah, though, exactly. that it was like Theranos P.I. And then <laughs> but then like a whole episode is devoted to the sort of fruitless shenanigans of both of these teams and then cut back to Kennedy on his Edwardian <laughs> red couch being like, well, and then we hired Batman like, OK, yeah. cool. Might as well try it. But that was a little like either that whole story especially the second team which was like it was like a corporation Mm -hmm. yeah and then it wound up just being a complete shell game but that needed to be its own documentary by alex gibney or its own series on netflix but because it wasn't i kind of felt as though all of that should have been collapsed into a much shorter sequence i yeah i agree i I would have found that more interesting than learning more about how they got the key to the local church i mean i thought that yeah there was a little juicier thing than that and i also liked the spanish pi yeah but same but he was also a little weird, too. I mean, I think... It, it, <laughs> oh, you think? Yeah. <laughs> it just really does attract a lot of colorful people because, I, you know, it isn't like going to the supermarket. You don't have, quote-unquote, regular people involved in these kinds of industries. I mean, if you want to look at a weird private eye, look at Laura Bricker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> she she drives around, perfectly. yeah, in her custom suit, convertible. Cat on the dashboard. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's living life from, from my perspective, um, Team Lara. <laughs> but that one guy was talking about going undercover in these chat rooms. Yeah. yeah. These, like, pedophile chat, chat rooms, and that it's, like, it's just vile, and it changes you, and... You're bathing in vodka and lie every night. Like, don't get me wrong. These sequences were not uninteresting. I thought they were actually kind of cool and processy, which is something that I always like. But then you get to the end of them and there's there's just really nothing to hold on to, except that there's another whole documentary about this second guy. Exactly. Yeah. And possibly the Spanish guy. Like, I, w- I would watch that also. Not lying. Not going to lie. Well, the big voices that we are missing are the McCants. Right. We do hear mm-hmm. so much from them in the contemporaneous video. They gave so many interviews. Uh, there's so much coverage from 2007. We I think we see every frame that's ever shot. Mm. Uh, but my question is, do we need them today for this documentary? Does it suffer without them? I don't know. I mean, I think the kind of thing that I would like to hear them talk about, I don't think they probably would. So in that way, I I don't imagine they would be, you know, whether they would be open to talking about what their experience over, you know, the course of what, however many years it's been, Mm -hmm. what that's been like and sort of the way different things they've tried to do have worked or not worked and things like that. Because I think... And I don't blame them at all, but they're, they've got like one message, right? Which is yeah. keep searching. So whether they would be able to get off that message to provide some kind of insight or other kinds of sort of observations or whatever, that would be interesting. You know, I don't know. It didn't, didn't seem to me like that would be something they would do. And in that case, it doesn't seem like it's a big miss not having them there, but it is, it's glaring. Like at the end, you're like, they never even talked to those guys. You know, it's all third hand. And we did hear so much from them in the time. There are a couple of things that, Sarah, I would have liked to have gotten their reflections on. In particular, you know, what it was like for them to be accused of the crime when they're desperately trying to get the focus on the man hours and maybe a little more of their defense of their PR campaign. But I don't know. I think that we probably have at least enough of them so that they are a true presence and the emotional center of the documentary? I think that's accurate. Uh, I think they put a statement out on the eve of the release of this series saying that they didn't participate because they did feel that the focus of this kind of not implied that there was no point searching anymore, but that it did take the focus off of searching. And that's why they wouldn't be participating and they wouldn't be discussing it any further. 
But like Toby, I would like to hear from them, but I think that it would be about things that they would not share. Specifically, recently, generally, as I'm interacting with true crime properties, I'm thinking about the ripple effects on family and friends and community of crimes. And I did keep thinking whenever they would show the McCanns like leaving that church or going into some building surrounded by press, like what is it like for the other kids in this house, in this family, that there is this huge hole around which they're all arrayed Mm -hmm. and that's their lives. Like that can't be their lives every minute. I can't imagine that it is, but on the other hand, I can't imagine that it isn't. I'm amazed that they, they're still together after mm. something like this because that really is the kind of thing that um, oh God, ends yeah. a marriage because it's just so emotionally wrought. I am, kind of, I am surprised and, and pleased uh, that they uh, seem to uh, still have a, a healthy relationship and a, and a nice family. Yeah, I mean, I hope everyone's okay and there's really no, I mean, what would they say? Like, yeah. yes, yeah. it's been difficult to carry on with the, you know, sort of the, not ghost of our sister, but I, I don't know, like, I feel for the kids. Yeah, I think the closest we get to that is the letter uh, that Kate McCann sent to the parishioners in Pride of the Luge um, on the 10th anniversary, where, you know, she kind of comes up with a sort of a summary of where they are. I think that's as close as we're, we're going to get to finding out how they are today. Mm, yeah, that's fair. But I didn't think the documentary overall suffered from that. I didn't think it was a case where the documentary took a position on their guilt or suspicions about their guilt or their behavior or anything like that where they were not offered a defense if that makes any sense i think that they had the opportunity to participate chose not to take it and the documentary did a fine job of not sort of side-eyeing that decision so yeah no I, i didn't i didn't feel that it took away well, let's do that thing that we do. Let's do our uh, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews for the disappearance of Madeline McCann. Toby Ball, let's start with you. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I didn't know much about it. I think in large part, I thought it was interesting just for sort of what happened afterwards. And, you know, again, there's this weird cast. We wouldn't even talk about their PR people. who's oh, yeah. Another couple of... Mm. Kind of odd ducks. Um, the one who kept moving the microphone out of her face. I love that. Yeah, exactly. And then she like knocks one out of somebody's hand. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, again, you can always you can always quibble. And I, I think we've talked a little bit about some of the if you're if you're going to do this for eight hours, like there's an opportunity to look closely at certain things and and not at other things. And like sometimes I don't think those decisions were made in the way that I would have wanted them to. But for the most part, I thought it was well-made and thoughtful. And certainly for a case that's been exploited again and again, this didn't feel exploitive to me. Sarah D. Bunting, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, Thumbs up. As Toby says, there's always quibbles and I've aired them out, I think. I think this could have been a little uh, leaner, maybe one more pass through just to make sure that you actually need to be at eight episodes instead of six. But I think it does an excellent job giving you First of all, giving you an overview of the actual case, like the terrain of the case. And then as the docuseries is continuing, looking at the issues around the case and at other parallel cases and at the cultural differences in tabloid and crime journalism overseas and at and at and. Yeah, I think it's good. It's well made. It's not... (laughs) It's not like sticky <laughs> the way uh, some oxygen media product can be. So, yeah, no, it's good. Thumbs up. Yeah, I am also a uh, a thumbs up. I uh, did enjoy it. I agree with you, Sarah, that eight episodes seemed pretty long. There's a lot to this case, and I think we saw just about all of it. Uh, it is also <laughs> a good reflection, I think, and not so much on the crime involving Madeline McCann, but on the sensation around Madeline McCann that includes the media mm-hmm. coverage and, and everything else with it. I think if you know a little bit, you know the name, but you don't really know what happened, like I think many of us do, then I think you'll find this a really interesting uh, watch. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm thumbs up. 
But to just remember, that's eight episodes. It's about eight hours. So when you, you sit down to watch this, settle in because it's going to be a long time. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. All right, now it's time for Rebecca's favorite part of the podcast, little something she likes to call the crime of the week. When a fight broke out in front of an Orlando nightclub, who was the first to try to break it up? A guy in an Easter bunny costume. Break it up is a generous description, though. Actually, the bunny hopped in. He hopped in. One more time. He hopped in and was throwing haymakers. If And if you think a six-foot-tall fuzzy bunny going one, two, one, two, one, two on a guy isn't funny, you're dead wrong. The hair-raising incident... Was caught on oh, camera, naturally. Kevin. Oh, I know. And then after the punching, you see the bunny dance around and shuffle his feet like a boxer? Yeah. Does the alley <laughs> shuffle. Yeah. And to quote Bambi, that's why they call him Thumper. <laughs> <laughs> and because it's America, we can't have one goddamn happy ending, as we find out now that the guy in the bunny suit is wanted in New Jersey for two armed robberies and is a person of interest in a carjacking. Silly oh. rabbit. Uh, so, Ugh. panel. Jesus. Santa brings coal to bad kids. So, what do you think? It the, seemed like such a good idea at the time. It did, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Santa brings coal to bad kids. What do you think the bunny's going to leave in this guy's basket? Uh, Toby Ball, start with you. Uh, <laughs> this guy's basket? Yeah. Uh, Jesus, I don't know. A peep with a switchblade? <laughs> mm. Sarah, what do you think? I am torn in my responses. My first instinct is to say um, a can of whoop ass. <laughs> yes. But I think it also might be the sequel to the Stealer of Diamonds. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> that would be the bunny puncher. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, I stole all the Easter candy. Uh, yeah, I think the guy was bad, so he's going to get a Cadbury snot egg. <laughs> which is pretty much a Cadbury cream egg. Uh, there we go. Anybody have a cat of the week? No? Good. Uh, we're moving on. Sarah D. Bunting, thank you very much for filling in for Laura Bricker and Rebecca Lavoy. You had to fill in two oh. big sets of shoes, and you did great. I thank you so much for saying that. I, I really feel that I barely even filled up a uh, a toe, but I tried. Oh, don't worry. You'll hear about it later if you did. Mm, so. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> so, Sarah, where can our listeners follow you on the socials? Um, on the socials, uh, you can find me talking about true crime at blotter presents and then talking about everything else um including stupid things that local politicians say and stupid things the mets do at <laughs> tomato nation and that's both on twitter and you've got a great po- you got several great podcasts but if if you like true crime and you want to get more in discussions uh, i'd recommend the blotter presents both toby and i have been guests on and uh, we expect that we will have to repay this debt by coming on again. Oh, I I hope you shall. Rebecca has also been a guest. Only uh only Lara is still holding out on me. So Ooh. she and her cats have got a. <laughs> That's right. It's a trade within the division. It'll be great. <laughs> Toby Ball. If people want to reach out to you, how can they do that? At Toby Ball NH on the Twitters. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at Kevin P Flynn. You can also follow the show at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you'll get the Crime Writers On after show, Married with Podcast, the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's True Crime Fitness Fun Group. 
and the Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where the stealer of diamonds hides her stolen, fragile birthday decorations (laughs) and all the chalkboards from the school. On behalf of the Crime Writers, thanks for listening. We will catch you later. Later. (laughs) Good job. Toby. Hey. Hey, how did your Facebook Live go? Uh, it went swimmingly. Excellent. Let me yeah, bring in... Laura, for some reason, like, was watching. <laughs> she can't can't take a week Go off. The beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> At night. All right. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.